You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 29 of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, and more. We're recording on Thursday, August 13th, 2015. I'm Victor Marks, and with me I've got Neil, managing editor of Apple Insider. Hi, Neil. Hey, how's it going? And we've also got, joining us from the far, far side of the year world, Shane Cole. Hello. Welcome back. You were on vacation before. I was. We are so glad you returned. How was it? Uh, it was fantastic. I highly recommend leaving your job and moving to the beach in Thailand. There you have it. Job recommendations, career path. Not you, specifically. I mean, people who are listening and need advice from me. <laughs> Life pro tips from Shane. Excellent. You know, actually, it's not a bad idea. Thailand, huh? Yes. Specifically, uh, Phuket is nice, really. Uh, the little islands around it are very fun. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm going to have to look into that. So if you, if you find that I'm gone next time around, it's because I'm in Phuket. But let's talk instead about what's going on in the world of Apple. So we think there's an Apple event coming up on September 9th. Do we have any kind of announcement about that, Neil? No, there hasn't been an announcement, but um, Apple traditionally leaks to the same guy, John Pachkowski, who used to work for All Things Digital and then Recode, and he's now, strangely enough, at BuzzFeed of all websites. But um, yeah, uh, he usually gets the scoop on this early, and he's usually right. Um, I'm not so sure about uh, some of the claims he made about the event itself. Specifically, um, I mean, I think everybody knows there's going to be an iPhone there, iPhone success. Um, and the Apple TV is a strong possibility, but he also suggested that iPads would be there. I'm not sold on that rumor because that would mean no October event or an October event that would just be about Macs. And w- assuming that El Capitan is going to come later than iOS 9 as it did last year, I would think that Apple would still want to have some sort of October event and iPads would be a good thing to introduce there. But that's the rumor as it is right now. Um, new iPhones, Apple TV, and then maybe iPads. All right. I I totally think the iPads will be there. I mean, th- what are they going to do to the iPads? The do, iPad you, mini do you just get... want a new iPad? Is that your deal? Well, actually, I have to get one because my iPad Air 2 died an unceremonious death just the other day. And it had still sitting, looking at me, taunting me, uh, because it took me three days to get an appointment at the Apple Store. But um, The pain. No, I mean, it's, a mid- it's essentially an iPad mid-cycle refresh, right? The iPad mini is going to get a little bit smaller and get some better internals, but it's not going to be a major redesign. What else can they do to the iPad? iPad Pro? Well, yeah, I suppose if, if there's a hypothetical iPad Pro, which I do not believe, then I think you're right. That's a good point. But if it's just a new iPad mini and a spec bumped iPad Air. Guts to run all the cool iOS 9 stuff? Yeah, but that, it's just a faster processor, right? That's the only difference. It's an iPad mini with an A9. So why does that uh, earn its own event? It's not that it earns its own event. It's just a matter of spreading it out. Because, I mean, presumably we're going to have. Uh, 21.5-inch iMac with Retina display soon, right? That should be on tap. The Mac Pro hasn't been updated in a while. Uh, El Capitan's coming out. Is that enough to justify an event? Or would you have iPads headline that event? I'm not saying that I think that this year's iPad upgrade is going to be that great, especially if there is no mythical iPad Pro. It's really just the question of how much do they want to pack into this September event? Because I feel like the new iPhones, explaining Force Touch, recapping all the iOS 9 features... Um, and then uh, Apple TV, App Store, maybe a subscription TV service, maybe not. That's a lot to have at one event. Uh, you know, you do have WatchOS 2 coming later this fall, so that could be something for an October event as well. And there were also some rumors earlier this year, although they kind of died out, that maybe Apple was going to introduce some new casing materials for the Apple Watch to kind of expand the lineup. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some new watch bands or something like that, too, to just kind of boost holiday sales. But I don't know that watchOS 2 and some new watch bands and some Mac stuff is enough to carry the October event. I wouldn't be surprised if they stick with their traditional strategy and announce new iPads in October. Well, we don't really know. And Apple, as we do know, is not afraid of having a long event, right? The Apple Music event with Eddie Q went on for seemingly forever. Oh, it was insufferable. So they could jam as much as they wanted this thing. But I, I certainly agree. I hope they balance it out. As long as they don't bring Drake back, then they'll be <laughs> fine. Or Phil Schiller. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like Schiller either, but I would much rather watch Schiller than Drake for an hour. 
But I mean, right? It seems like they have a lot of stuff that they still need to update. The the Mac Mini uh, would seem overdue. That not that anyone cares about it really, but the iMac definitely overdue, especially in the twenty one point five inch size. There's the long rumored uh, Retina uh, Cinema Display Thunderbolt display. The Mac Pro is getting very long in the tooth. A lot of this is just beholden to Intel and their timing of the chips, but there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't fit into a September event. So I, I think they're going to have an event in October. Um, I just don't know if Macs are enough to carry the event. I just I think you could see I could easily see a scenario in which they decide to bifurcate to two events a year with room for a special spring event. Right, two right. events a year, one mobile, one non-mobile, and be done. Well, it be interesting to see what they do with the watch. Are they going to continue to launch new hardware in April, or are they going to move it to the fall like they did with the iPad? Because remember, the first iPad was announced in January. It came out in April of 2010. And then a couple years later, they moved, after they did the iPad 4, uh, two releases in one year, they moved it to the fall. So I wonder if the Apple Watch continues to have that spot in April, that spring event, or are they going to wait like a year and a half? Are they going to do two hardware upgrades in a year? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm curious to see if it's going to be on a yearly upgrade cycle to begin with, truthfully. I, I wonder if the Apple Watch is going to be more akin to the iPod in its sort of middle years, where the iPods went two years between refreshes for a while. Yeah, yeah maybe. I mean, what, after you make the watch thinner, what, what else are you going to do to the watch? I mean, they got to add GPS. They could improve uh, battery life. They could... Uh, you know, I could envision, for example, a future model that has good enough battery life that a certain low power watch screen is always on and gets 24 hours of uptime, stuff like that, little efficiencies. I I think, um, I I see what you're saying and I can see that happening a few years down the road, but I think in the first years of the watch, you're going to get new hardware every year just because, um, I think there's a lot of room for upgrades on the current device. I, I'm foreseeing with my totally usually incorrect uh, mind's eye. You're prognosticating One, here, right? You're yes, yes, I am. Uh, you didn't know this, but I am actually Miss Cleo. <laughs> I'm. I can see a scenario in which we get one really big uh, watch version two update. It's thinner. It's got better battery life. It's got GPS. It has, you know, whatever awesome whiz bang. God, I'm getting old. Whiz bang thing that you can come <laughs> up with. You whippersnappers. <laughs> I know, and uh, which I I think you probably will see sometime in the middle of next year and then after that you know i think it's it's a let's try and get more market penetration rather than trying to uh uh take over more of the exist let's try to okay let me explain this in a way that actually (laughs) makes sense (laughs) let's try to spread the smartwatch around rather than trying to gain share in an existing market because right now there for all intents and purposes is no smartwatch market it doesn't exist so that's where I'm going with this. Yeah, I, 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 I can agree with you there. You know, I still think that there are room for upgrades for the next few years, though. Mikey had a really interesting observation that I hadn't even thought of on uh, last week's podcast. We were talking about um, how you might make the watch an independent device that doesn't require an iPhone to do the basic functions. And obviously, a big step toward that is native apps. Um, but you know the security element of it, he was saying Touch ID. We were talking about, well, do you somehow find a way to integrate Touch ID into the screen or something like that? And Mikey said, put it in the digital crown button, which is the equivalent of the home button on the iPhone. And that was really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. If they could somehow squeeze it into there, that would be a good upgrade too. Um, and you know, when you look to the future of the watch and as we think about what it could become and stuff, you wonder too, does Apple go down the road of allowing the watch to connect to like Android phones, for example, and receive notifications from them? Could that be on the roadmap? And I'm thinking obviously very well down the road, four, five, six years or something. But it would be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Wow. I think Apple hopes Android won't even exist. You, you kind of blew my ago. mind there with this idea of the, the watch working with Android. I just I don't see it at all. No, I don't see it either. Not at least in its current form, but... I mean, look five years down the road, right? That would be like a very different Apple company that would do that. That doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense until you start to think about it in the sense of like the iPod and iTunes on Windows and stuff like that. If five years down the road, Android is still 70, 80% of the smartphone market, that's a huge number of untapped people that Apple could sell hardware to. And if the iPhone, you know, doesn't grow to 50% of the market or something and the Apple Watch has 
margins that are comparable to the iPhone. Let's say that the margins are 45% on the watch or something. I don't know. I'm just making up numbers, right? But if they were selling a product with that much margin and that would be a way to get people into the Apple ecosystem, I could see them doing it down the road. I don't see it happening anytime soon, but I could see it four or five or six years down the road. It's not outside of the realm of possibility. I don't think it will happen, but it's not... It's not that crazy of an idea when you start to think about it. Okay. I think you, you need to not look at the iPhone market share as Android has 80% of the market, right? You need to look right. at the iPhone market share as Apple has 50% of their market. Right. And putting the watch, I think that the, the various wearable platforms make <clears throat> awesome walled gardens. They're another, another post in the wall, right? And this is one reason why Android Wear doesn't work great with ios yet there's absolutely no technical reason that it can't right there's none but it doesn't because it's android wear and <laughs> the apple and the apple watch will always be the apple watch it will never be the general purpose smartwatch. it will be i'm absolutely certain that one day there will be an apple watch with an lte radio i'm absolutely certain that there will probably one day be an apple watch with some form of biometric authentication although i don't think it'll be touch right. id i think it will be vain id but creepy. No, no, no. Vain ID. It's totally legitimate. It's, no, it's, I know. it's just everywhere. creepy to think about. Like, I use it to get into data centers all the time. There's, there's, a, uh, there's a heart rate ID-based uh, payment bracelet being trialed in Canada right now, actually. Doesn't so Apple have a is, patent on that, actually? Some that's heart a rate very good user? question because there, it's, it's a one-bank trial. It's in Canada only right now. Um, and you wear their bracelet, and that works as the NFC payment. Well, I, I, I just think it's, I think it's fun to think about, right? The iPod used to have what they called the halo effect, and then it became the iPhone. The iPod sold Macs. The iPhone helps to sell Macs. People get into the ecosystem. And as you bring down those barriers slowly and allow devices that are more independent, then it gets people more interested in Apple products and more interested in, in buying into the ecosystem. I mean, we're going to get Apple Music on Android, so it's not that crazy. If you had told me three years ago that Apple was going to have a music app on Android, I would have said you're full of it. Can we please? Can we please just get FaceTime on Android and other systems now? It was originally supposed to be an open spec. I know. I'm yeah. asking for that to actually be followed be, through I, on. I wish, yeah, but that's not going to happen. I would well, love to have up. FaceTime and iMessage for those other platforms. So that, yeah, yeah. It got, no, it, I'm, FaceTime I'm got tied up in patent. Yeah, FaceTime got tied up in patent disputes. Yeah. iMessage is Apple's version of BBM. Yeah, I, iMessage will never be open. I could see FaceTime being opened up, but. It's not really necessary because you can just use other platforms. I don't think FaceTime ever will, primarily because they had to re-architect it to get around that Fernand X crap. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, was, that was BS. The other thing that I'd love to see happen with FaceTime is I'd love to get the ability to both audio and video chat with multiple people back. You can kind yeah. of do the audio chat if you're using an iPhone to do it where you can merge people in. Yeah, yeah. But we used to have iChat AV, and we used to be able to pull in people from iChat and from AOL Instant Messenger and have multiple people in a call. It maxed, it maxed out at four people, I believe, right, on iChat? Something like that. I remember yeah. there being more, but, but four people sounds fine, too. I, I would love to get that back. We don't have that anymore. Yeah, I agree. It sucks that we're doing all these cool things, and we've lost something along the way. Yeah. So, September, new, you getting a new iPhone? Uh, I, I'm actually curious about this uh, iPhone 6C. Um, the rumors came out uh, this week, and they were kind of dead for a while. People were saying no iPhone 6C. But now it's sounding like maybe Apple will take the iPhone 6 components and do what they did in 2013 and squeeze them into a uh, different design, slightly different design, in this case a smaller phone, that uh, would allow it to uh, not eat away market share from the high-end model, which, which would have a different design. So if the iPhone 6S and the 6S Plus are going to look largely the same as the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus, respectively, then Apple wouldn't want to sell the iPhone 6 for $100 and uh, have people look at them and not know the difference to just buy the $100 phone because it's cheaper. So the, the rumor that, that is going around now is that maybe they'll take the 6 parts, cram them into a 4-inch screen, much like they did with the iPod Touch, and give it a color aluminum back and sell that at the $100 price range. So I think that could be a pretty compelling device. The question becomes, how useful is Force Touch on the 6S and 6S Plus? Um, that's going to be a decision for me because I like the smaller form factor, but I also like the better camera that I'm presumably going to get on the 6S, and Force Touch could be a big change to how you interact with your phone. So I'm, it'll, it really will depend on how they implement Force Touch and what it brings to the table and how useful that will be to me. 
Shane, are you going to get a new phone? Yes, because uh, my wife's iPhone's Apple Care will be her 5S's Apple Care will be running out. So we'll sell it while it still has some warranty left and uh, buy a new one. I can't say which one it'll be because she doesn't want a bigger phone. She is like Neil. All, maybe not as extreme as Neil is. She doesn't want a two and a half inch phone. Neil is pretty extreme. Uh, he is. <laughs> but yes, we will be getting some variation of a new iPhone. What What do you think our listeners should take away from this? You know, there, There's a phone coming. Should they wait for it? Should they not wait for yes, it? Wait. You agree, you, Shane? Yeah, the event is in less than a month. Yeah, I mean, why would you buy a phone now? Unless you really had to buy a phone now. Let's say you wanted to get an iPhone 6, right? Uh, it costs $200 on contract right now. In less than a month, they're going to announce a phone that is going to cost the same as the current iPhone 6, have a better processor and a better camera, force touch, and all these other features. So you could get that, or you could get a discount iPhone 6 as they clear out inventory of those. You know, you're going to have more options and better prices. So yeah, wait. The bottom line, this is always the question with Apple products, right? Should I buy now or should I wait for whatever? This is the bottom line. We know at this point in Apple's life essentially when their events are going to be, right? There's going to be WWDC, which used to have hardware, but actually hasn't been uh, that great lately. There's always going to be a fall event with new iPhones. There's always going to be a fall event with new iPads. There's probably always going to be a fall or a spring event with new um, desktops and laptops, if it's out, if it's within like a month of those times, just hold off unless you have to buy one. Otherwise, just buy a new damn device. Yeah. So there's always going to be a new device. There's always right. going to be something that makes yours feel old. You could be waiting so, forever. Yeah. You know, it's like people saying, "Oh, I'm going to wait till version two of the Apple Watch or whatever." Well, now you've just spent a year without the Apple Watch, so you know you waited and you got the next one, but you missed out on all the opportunities and the advantages it was going to give you in the meantime. So. Define advantages. <laughs> well, I, it makes me stand up once an hour, so I won't get a blood clot in my leg. So that's an advantage. <laughs> no deep vein thrombosis no, for Neil. No embolisms <laughs> for Neil. Awesome. Cool. So tell me about conventional watch sales sliding after the launch of the Apple Watch. You know, we, we were uh, – that's a thing that's a question for me because, you know, we're, it's – it's what, what sales slid? Was it sales of – Big names like Rolex and Tag Heuer, or was it sales of fossil watches? What's what slid here? No, nobody who's rolling in to buy a Submariner is going to suddenly not do it because there's an Apple Watch available. Yeah, I didn't think so, but that's the question is what happened? Did anything happen? Well, I have an article here that says conventional watch sales slide after Apple Watch launch. And yeah, it's coming so, from NPD data. Yeah, so but, what are but, they looking at? Hey, They're looking at register sales from... Jewelry stores, or they're looking at register sales on the Pebble smartwatch, which of no, course they're, they're you, looking at traditional watch sales, and right. they're saying they were down fourteen percent, and it's the biggest decline since two thousand eight. Here's my reaction: post hoc ergo propter hoc. No, nobody, nobody with the Latin. After nope. it, therefore, because of it. Do you care to elaborate on that, sir, for some of our our non Latin scholars? All right, after it, therefore, because of it. Something happened after something else, therefore, it was caused by the other thing. Right, right. but that's. Not always. In fact, it's hard. Anybody who's ever watched The West Wing is going to call me out right now because this is a direct quote. It's not always true. In fact, it's hardly ever true, right? Say, correlation does not imply causation. Just because watch sales are falling does not mean they're falling because of the Apple Watch. Watch sales have been falling for quite a while. People don't wear watches anymore. Correct. This was, cite- this was cited in when the Apple Watch was coming out. This was cited as one of Apple's major obstacles is yeah. trying to get people to wear watches again. Watches aren't cool. Nobody who was going to buy a Rolex or an AP uh, before is suddenly not going to buy them because they're buying an Apple Watch. Well, dude, Some if you don't e- buy the AP, you can buy two Apple Watch editions. Well, yes, you could. <laughs> I mean, on, or, on the high or the, end, or the yes. On the yeah, high some, end, yes. But what, what if you were looking at like a $100 Timex or something? Yeah, what I was going to say next was some people who may have bought fossils or some people who are going to buy fossils may have switched to an Apple Watch. Right. But I think that's still a small number of people. So we, do we think that this NPD report is kind of specious? I mean, I'm, I'm sure they have hard data that shows that watch sales are down, but it, it could be any reason. Maybe maybe people are taking a, a wait-and-see approach. Maybe they're saying, I want to uh, you know, hear from more people about the Apple Watch um, and then decide what watch I want to buy or something like that. Maybe not. It, it's hard to say. You know, it's probably a little from column A, a little from column B. It's probably... Did the Apple Watch affect traditional watch sales? Sure. Is it the reason that they're down so much or the primary reason? Probably not. 
I'm interested to know how much watch sales fell in 2013. Right. So you want data from before Apple Watch well, well in advance. Yeah. There's so, a, then I can go write an article that says traditional watch sales down X percent in wake of Android Wear launch. Well, but this says it was the, the largest decline since 2008. So, yeah, but that could just mean that the other years were 11.5%. Right. No, I, I agree with you. I, it, it's, it, it, you can't read into this stuff too much. Well, and partly NPD wants to sell you the report, right? Yeah, and also partly it doesn't get clicks if it doesn't have the word Apple in the title. <laughs> As we well know. Yes. Do this one weird thing you won't believe. and oh. Yeah. One weird trick. Doctors You'll never it. believe what Apple did to this employee. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh. Speaking of things you'll never believe, you'll never believe what Google did this one weird trick. So instead Very of, weird. It, well, it is kind of weird because instead of spinning off uh, subsidiary companies, they spun off a parent company, right? It Google, makes perfect sense. Google decided instead of spinning off smaller things and being Google as the parent organization, which most companies would do, Google spun off a parent company and made Google the subsidiary. So the new parent company is called Alphabet. And basically all of the other things that are Google businesses that are are moonshots or strange explorations that aren't related to search necessarily got turned into small companies on their own. Is that right? Basically, yes. Okay. So Larry, Larry Page and Sergey Brin are the head of Alphabet now. Is that right? Yes. And Sundar Pichai is the uh, the head of Google at this point. Yes. He was formerly running Android after Andy Rubin got kicked out, and he was running uh, Chrome and Chrome OS after Vic Gundantra got le- turned away. And then most recently, he was running most of the other things that also mattered. Right? Which is why he's pretty much the CEO. Yes. Yeah. Now, this is, I mean, it doesn't really change much except for... Uh, you know, it allows them to kind of fend off Wall Street critics a little easier. Well, it also oh, here we removes, go. Here's the Wall Street removes, rant. I no, we're not going to have the Wall Street rant because I'm going to say <laughs> something much more interesting. Beautiful. It also, please. it also lets Larry not be a day-to-day CEO anymore, which anyone in the Valley who's ever talked to anyone who works at Google will tell you he hates doing. Right. He go just, on. He doesn't. So Larry Page no longer has to run. A boring, essentially a boring company, right? Right. Those two guys are, uh, I don't have a great term for this. They're wor- they, they want to do cool stuff. Yes. Yeah. Right. They built Google because they want to do cool stuff. Google mm-hmm. X exists because they want to do cool stuff. Right. Now they can go do cool stuff on their own and nobody will say anything to them about it. Neil's a little bit right in that it satisfies Wall Street. So there's a little more visibility into these various other financial black holes. And it probably has some positive tax implications, as many people have, have said. But at the end of the day, it's one solidifies Larry and Sergey's control over their, um, I guess, their domain. Mm-hmm. Two, because it's not a company anymore. I mean, honestly, Google is not, at this point, it's not a or Alphabet, sorry, it's not a company. It's, a, you know, it's, it's something beyond a, a company, which sounds ridiculous, but it's true. It solidifies their it solidifies their control over it. They've become right. omnipotent. <laughs> They've transcended it, companyhood. It the fourth dimension. Af- it puts a really, really competent executive who's well liked by everyone in charge of the businesses that actually make money. Yeah. <laughs> and it frees them up to go do what they do best, which is imagine cool stuff and then get it built. That's entirely what this is about. That's an excellent summary. Google is an advertising company. Yeah. Everything that makes money from ads is now run by Sundar. Right. And everything that uh, drains money from ads is now run by Larry and Sergey. Perfect. <laughs> it's brilliant. We've been talking a lot about Alarm.com these past few weeks, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and bring it up again because they are one of our two sponsors this week. Alarm.com is a technology that is about really making your home smart with an alarm system that's smarter than traditional alarm systems. And what makes it like this is the ability to control all of the different parts of the alarm system and also a thermostat from your phone and your Apple Watch. They are reliable and secure. They use 100% dedicated cellular connection into your home, so you're not vulnerable to a cut line or a down broadband connection. And Alarm.com accounts are professionally monitored, so a real person at a central monitoring station will help get emergency response to your home in case of an emergency. 
Instead of trying to control all of these different smart things in your house with five or six different apps, Alarm.com integrates everything into its top-rated mobile apps. You can use security, thermostat, video monitoring, lights, locks, and a garage door, all from their one application. The systems are professionally installed and maintained by a trusted security expert, which means you're not stuck inside all weekend trying to figure out how to get all of the different parts to work together. Now, if you're listening to this program, you probably love Apple, and you love the way that Apple innovates, and Alarm.com is an innovator as well. They pioneered the smart home security space. They were the first to launch a native app to control your home, and they launched the first location-based automation feature. They were the first smart home app for the Apple Watch. Alarm.com is the leading technology provider of smart home security, and it's sold through over 5,000 trusted security professionals across the United States. If you want to see what it's like to control your home from your Apple Watch, Alarm.com has a product demo on their site that you can check out. And if you're interested in having a smarter home, you can sign up for Smart Home Security this month and receive a free smart thermostat. Go to Alarm.com insider to find a dealer that's right for you. And actually, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. I, I like the idea of the thermostat and the lighting and the garage door opener all being a part of that one system. And unifying those things really makes for a good experience. Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's one of the kinds of things that I'm looking through, looking for out of out of HomeKit and some of those other things. But being able to buy it from a single supplier and getting all the parts to work together right away seems like a good value. Yeah, this stuff needs to be simplified, definitely. Do you have any kind of home automation stuff in your house? I have a Nest thermostat, and I have um, uh, I have Hue light bulbs. Where do you put your Hue light bulbs? I have. Uh, one in, uh, I have a couple in the bedroom, one in the kitchen, one up at the front of the house, and I think I have like seven of them total. And I, and I have cool things that I do with it too, like I have a movie mode on one that's just one light in the kitchen, and so I just tap that mode and it puts it on the lowest light setting, so if I want to go in there and get a drink and not turn all the lights in the house and stuff while I'm watching a movie, um, you can do neat stuff like that. Cool. I'm going to ask you more about that offline. Cool. So, Samsung made an announcement. This is uh, Samsung Insider, by the way. And Samsung announced a 5.7-inch Galaxy Note 5 and an S6 Edge Plus. And they're also launching Samsung Pay on the 28th of next month. So this is kind of a big thing coming from Samsung, right? They, they've, and I say that uh, pun intended, right? The Galaxy Note 5. It's big. So what should we know about these devices? It's a pretty obvious effort by Samsung to beat Apple to the punch. They did this last year, too. It was kind of funny. They, um, they announced their new uh, Note, Note 4, before Apple held their iPhone event, even though uh, it launched after Apple's iPhone 6 Plus. So hilariously, uh, Samsung announced like late August, and then the product didn't ship till October. Meanwhile, Apple announced in September and shipped in September, and it just absolutely killed Samsung's sales of their Note lineup because people were waiting for an Apple phablet. So it's pretty transparent what they're doing here. They're just trying to get the jump on the iPhone. They're actually uh, shipping in fewer markets this time around so that they can get the launch out more quickly and hopefully not get caught flat-footed by Apple. But everything that Samsung does is very reactionary to Apple, and this is no different. Now, I'm a big fan of Apple Pay. I like Apple Pay a lot, and I keep hoping for more financial institutions to get their act together and get on board. Tell me about Samsung Pay. Should I should I get out of Apple Pay? Should I get out of my iPhone, go get an S... Um, an, oh, what the hell is it? It's called a S6 Edge Plus. Should I get one of those and use Samsung Pay? If you want to, I guess. <laughs> well, go on. Tell, tell me, tell me no, why... I mean- I mean, look, it's a bad idea because you know if, day, if you if you want to. I mean, you, you, no, no, no. It's 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 not a terrible. Truth, truthfully, if we're if we're being honest here, the worldwide market for smartphones is Apple versus Samsung. Nobody else matters for for anybody who's listening to this podcast. I, I clarify that nobody else matters but Apple and Samsung. Not even we're not even counting Motorola because they're on the, they're not in the conversation. <laughs> the whole reason Apple Pay and Samsung Pay exists is the same reason that. S music or whatever that crap is and iTunes exist and every other single thing that locks you into one or the other ecosystem. Samsung Pay is going to be exactly the same as Apple Pay with the exception of the pretty cool uh, uh, mag- what is it? What do we actually what is the name for that technology? The stuff they got from Blue Pay? Magnetic something? Yeah, it's Does like it have it, a name? I don't know if it has a name but it like spoofs the magnetic stripe on your credit card and then wirelessly transmits it to the reader. So it works with like legacy readers. It's very cool technology. 
So we'll call it spoofy magnets then. Yes. Aside from the spoofy magnet technology, Samsung Pay, Apple Pay, and Android Pay, for that matter, are all exactly the same damn thing. Right, and, and the spoofy magnetic technology um, isn't really going to be that relevant come October, November, once a lot of most merchants presumably switch over to chip and signature uh, systems in the U.S., because then swipes will be irrelevant. So supposedly Samsung's working out some deals with banks so that it'll still work on those legacy readers, but it's not really going to matter because most of these readers are going to be upgraded to uh, also accept NFC transactions because it's just built into the readers now. So it's cool technology, uh, much like the coin that's out now. Very cool technology, but it doesn't matter that the industry's changing so quickly and it's going to be in a few months. Yeah, the idea is just that the idea is to reach feature parity among the platforms. That's that's all it is. If you like Android and you like Google Play, buy a Galaxy S6 because actually it's a pretty cool phone. If you prefer iTunes and Apple Pay, buy an iPhone. Well, if but what about Android Pay? I was just I was getting there. Ah. Hold 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 your don't drone interrupt, Neil. Hold your drone, Neil. Hold <laughs> your <laughs> Anyway, if you prefer vanilla Android, then buy the latest Nexus, you know? That's it is what it is. Well, but it's just interesting to me that you continue to see this uh, feature disparity competing uh, products from Samsung and Google. You know, Android Pay is going to be built into non-Samsung phones, but Samsung has their own payment service. Are they going to be blocking Android Pay? Like, how's that going to work? Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have Android Pay, presumably, if you bought... Truthfully, I actually don't know the answer to this question. Yeah. Uh, but I'm thinking somewhere right now, I think you're probably going to have the choice of either one, I would guess. But down the road, uh, I fully expect Samsung to eventually have their own fork of Android. Yeah, I, I think that's almost inevitable at this point. I mean, it yeah. essentially is a fork of Android in many ways now because of touch whiz and you can't get updates and all that. And you get the yeah. phone and it comes with all this crap on there. The uh, you know heart rate monitor that uses the camera on the back, the... Uh, uh, you know, all, all these S voice apps and the S wallet and all this stuff. And it's just like, and it all duplicates functionality that's already built into Android. It just allows them to differentiate. So someone who maybe doesn't know so well goes into a store and asks for another Samsung phone because they're used to that experience. Yeah. Ties in is never going to matter. So in five years, you're either going to have Samsung Droid right. or Samsung will just bow out of trying to be a premium manufacturer altogether and become another OEM. One of those two things is going to happen. This, the status quo cannot exist. Yeah. Much yeah, there's too much animosity between Google and, and Samsung. It, and well, Samsung's just terrified, as well they should be, right. that they're going to be commoditized out of the market. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly right. And Google doesn't like having Samsung having so much power, but they're so dependent on each other right now that it's just a, it's a smartphone cold war going on. Yeah, I mean, it's not I mean, it's a little bit different, but it's not super unlike Microsoft and Nokia, right? The reason Microsoft bought Nokia is to keep the one and only manufacturer of yeah. Windows phones alive. Yeah, and, and that worked out Google, well. Yeah, and Google and Samsung have a, a hateful, symbiotic relationship. Yep. Well, and yeah. Google tried buying a, car- a handset manufacturer in the past, and that didn't very much work out for them. It right. worked out extremely well for them. Well, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but that was a fantastic deal. From a, from a product standpoint. They well, did, no, from, from I mean, a product standpoint, it didn't do it. But we don't know yeah. that they wanted that right. We don't product yeah. in the first place. Right. I, they they took the advanced projects team. They kept yes. that back. Mm-hmm. They sold off the set top box division to make a ton of their money back. They got a yep. great tax deduction from Motorola's losses, and then they sold them for two billion dollars. So if, if I'm Larry Page, I'm looking at that and saying, "Hey, job well done. Let's make another company and call it Alphabet." Yes, but if you look at if you look at it from a different perspective and that they were trying to fix the problems of Android and specifically the power that Samsung had uh, and they wanted to start making in-house Nexus phones uh, and sell them through carriers and get more control over Android and get people updated to the latest software and kind of streamline the lineup, that was not a success. But yes, from a financial perspective, absolutely. How good it was for the health of Android, I don't know. I think Google at this point, their Nexus devices started out as showing Android manufacturers what phone, setting a benchmark for Android phones, right? Yeah. And I think that they may have briefly flirted with the idea of doing it themselves, but really, what else can you do? Yeah. I mean, they're wor- who are they working with this time? Is HTC building the new Nexus? Is that the rumor? Yeah. Yeah. 
what can Motorola do that HTC can't? So I think that it was it may have been a little bit of a flirtatious idea. Hey, we'll build Nexus phones ourselves. But I think realistically, the driver of the deal was exactly what ended up happening. They got what they wanted from Motorola and then sold the near dead carcass on, you know. And the, and they may have been financially too poorly. They may have been afraid of scaring off their partners too. Who knows if they they got cold feet because Samsung said they were going to walk and just completely fork Android. Yeah, that would have been. That, that's. That, I think that was the prevailing wisdom at the time, right? Is what the hell yeah. are they doing? Nobody's going to make an Android phone if Google's right. making it. And so, by not going down that road, they didn't scare off their partners. At least, not that. Not that it really did any good for HTC or any of these other companies that. Or uh, HTC. Are, or yeah. Poor, poor HTC. <laughs> they're way. They're way below cash on hand now. They it's crazy. Are, yeah. They're their suffering. name is worthless. And it's funny to think, too, I mean, back when Windows Mobile was your only option, they were the only good Windows Mobile phone because they their skinning of Windows Mobile actually made it tolerable. And tech people You have a funny like definition us. of tolerable, I just want to say. Cause <laughs> well, this is before the, the iPhone. The HTC Diamond and stuff like Oh, my God, that was brutal. What was the name? What's the name of their skin? Sense? Is that what it's called? Yeah, well, they've used that name for everything. There was Sense UI saying. on, uh, yeah, on Android. Was, yeah, there was Sense on – that's what I'm saying. Sense was originally for Windows Mobile. And it took a garbage product that relied on a stylus and made it somewhat and, taller. And put one layer between garbage. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big improvement. I mean, obviously, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but, you know, it was compared to what was on the market, and HTC was the, doing the best job. I think you, HTC and Sony, to a lesser extent, are examples of what happens when Samsung has the Samsung rules mind share. Yeah. Right. Samsung's hardware, until this most recent series, has not been amazing, right? The S6 is actually really nice. The S6 Edge is also really nice. But the S5 and before have just been, you know, not not exactly living up to standards of engineering excellence. Yeah. Sony's Xperia's, the Z3, the Z4, amazing phones. The, the stuff they do with Android, fantastic. Nobody's buying them. Well, Sony's six. losing tons of cash. HTC's 1M9? Great phone. 1M8, even better. The 1M9 is a little bit of a step back. The 1M8, amazing phone. Nobody bought it. Samsung, or uh, Sony, I'm sorry, gets what they deserve because Sony has been trying to lock people into an ecosystem for years in the worst possible ways. You know, Sony wishes they could be like Apple right now so much and they've done it with their proprietary uh, card readers and their proprietary everything. They deserve everything that happened to them. <laughs> Somebody's still butthurt about memory sticks. <laughs> <laughs> And all the different formats of memory stick. and Yeah. You know what I'm annoyed about? I'm still annoyed about Ibo being gone. What? Ibo. Sony Ibo. Oh, the dog? Yeah. Uh, the New York Times had a, a interesting, like, short film about the Ibo and how they're, they're dying. Like, and they had this, like, older uh, Japanese couple that's, like, a, they keep their Ibo robot dog around. And it's, like, harder and harder to find replacement parts. And it was really, like, sweet and sad and creepy all at the same time. Where this family, like, was, like taking their Ibo with them to, like, on vacation, taking photos of it places. And, like, the thing is, like, slowly dying. <laughs> this little robot dog. Oh, my goodness. The robot dog was incredible, and they had three models of it. And for a while, there was a robot dog soccer league. It was awesome. What? Yeah, there was a Sony Ibo soccer league. And you, you played soccer with the dogs, pushing a ball around on a course. It was incredible. Sony has fallen so far, and I still use a lot of Sony products. I'm wearing Sony headphones right now. I have a PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita. I have a Sony uh, compact digital camera that I absolutely love, but they deserve everything that happened to them because they did it to themselves. Yeah. The only Sony product I have or have had in the last five years is uh, my RX100. Great camera. Yeah, Sony make, still makes great cameras. But. I don't own one of those cameras, and I, I occasionally, you know this, Neil, I, I talk to you about, you know, what camera should I use when I shoot CES and things like yeah. that. And someday, maybe, maybe I'll own another Sony product, but it's been a long time since I've purchased one. Sony you know, Alpha NEX cameras are awesome. They're really good. You know what Sony's most profitable division is now? Paper shredders? <laughs> <laughs> they make a damn fine I, paper shredder. Is that what it is? If, you know, if you had said fax machines, that would have been a more culturally relevant thing. But no, it's insurance. Really? Yeah, their insurance division props up the rest of the company. I, I realize we're going deep down the rabbit hole here, but um, Samsung, or I'm, I keep saying Samsung, Sony is uh, uh, so such a big name and, and they're so prominent and all that that the knockoffs of their products are so good that they even fool Amazon. I, I years ago bought a... Um, 
a, uh, a PlayStation 3 controller, like a, a DualShock controller, and it came in the packaging. It looked like a Sony thing and everything, but some of the fonts and stuff on it looked kind of weird, and I was slightly suspicious, so I started Googling it, and I found out that there are like these knockoff controllers. I had a knockoff uh, little uh, microphone adapter for... Uh, for devices that like capture stereo sound, it turned out it was a fake one too, and they're yeah. like sold just regularly on Amazon. Amazon like, nobody even doesn't knows care; they don't do anything to vet whether or not a product is counterfeit or not. But I, I had products this- when I was back manufacturing product. I had products that were counterfeited and would show up on Amazon, and I bought several of the counterfeits to figure out just how bad the clones were. And some were terrible fonts. Some were they. One of the things they do is they totally redraw all of the packaging artwork. So even if you've got yeah. artwork that's done and they could just copy it, they redraw it all so you can see where they've screwed up. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, the, the Amazon doesn't care. Amazon it, does it, nothing. It, it's just amazing to me how good these Sony knockoffs were. Like any average person would not have known. And Sony's just losing money on that stuff. And it's probably hurts their business tremendously because – I was almost faked out by it, and I do this crap for a living. So, so one thing that actually happens a lot um, in China, Sony has moved a lot of their production out of Japan now, mm-hmm. and as a result, they and many other companies who have who have done so have had problems. This happens a lot in uh, SD cards and yeah, uh, SD cards sticks. are terrible. Yeah. So what they what happens is people. Cards that are fabbed by small manufacturers, not, I mean, Foxconn, this isn't happening at Foxconn, right? But it's happening at smaller contract manufacturers. They'll run ghost lines at night. Like the, the supervisors will come in at night and run the same line with worse materials. <laughs> and so what you get are fake products that came off the same production line with the same tooling as the real products, but they're worse because they use worse materials. Like um, for memory cards, they'll use uh, seconded memory chips. You know, yeah, all of the uh, rejected were parts. Rejected. Yeah, all everything that was rejected will be rerun, and then the supervisor will take his cut from the guy who's smuggling them out of China. And there you go. So that's, that's amazing. Where you see the really good quality fakes, that's what happens. That's crazy. Yeah, they're they're really high quality, and Sam or Sony deserves everything bad that that has happened to them, but they don't deserve that. That's just terrible. So we're talking about large companies like Samsung, and we're talking about large companies like Google. Now I'm going to talk about a company called SoftLayer. And SoftLayer is an IBM company, and what they do is they deliver a cloud. So if you're working in a, uh, a startup or if you're working in a business and you need cloud infrastructure, SoftLayer is this IBM company that delivers a cloud infrastructure foundation, and it's the foundation of all IBM's cloud products and services. So what they deliver is uh, you, know, you put your business, your applications, your compute load, workload, they're all different from everyone else's. So you need cloud resources that meet your unique needs. Some workloads need to scale up and down quickly. They benefit from virtual servers. And some workloads need the raw power of bare metal or dedicated servers. SoftLayer is the only cloud provider that provisions bare metal servers and virtual servers from a single seamless platform, all on demand, all connected to the same API, and all connected to a global private network. Even if you're not looking for infrastructure, you can benefit from SoftLayer infrastructure when you use a platform or software service for IBM Cloud. And all of our listeners have the opportunity to get $500 of cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast. And that is specifically podcast with a capital P because URLs are hard. You can order bare metal servers, virtual servers, storage, networking, and security services in your choice of 24 data centers around the world. And all of those servers and services are connected to SoftLayer's unique network of networks, separates public, private, and management traffic so that traffic to and from your cloud infrastructure travels more efficiently. You can automate and control your cloud infrastructure with a granular API, or you can perform any necessary management actions in the easy-to-use SoftLayer customer portal. Visit softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P to get started with your $500 off servers, storage, network, and security on a cloud built to compete from SoftLayer. So before we move on, I didn't know SoftLayer was a sponsor. And aside from the uh, terrible, terrible case-sensitive URLs, I just want to say SoftLayer is amazing. Uh, My day job is web and mobile product development, and I've been with SoftLayer for a really long time. And it's a great company. Cool. So what would you say is the best experience you've had that should tell someone to go there besides you telling them that it's good? Uh, SoftLayer's absolute best feature is their customer support. If you are a person, if you're a person who's listening to this and cares about the fact that Victor said bare metal servers, then uh, you should know that you can escalate your case to a network engineer in five minutes. 
if it comes to that. That fast? Absolutely amazing. It's it's as good as Rackspace. And if you're in this business and you uh, have been in here for a while, you know that as good as Rackspace is really, really good. Wow. That is good to hear. Thank you for that. So before- we got to call an audible here, Victor. So we'll call an audible here. Shane just sent me the link for this. Samsung just announced the Gear S2 smartwatch. I'm going to iMessage it to you, Victor. Oh, Lord. At the IFA trade show in Berlin. And, is IFA uh, on already? That's, yes. That's pronounced e- the IFA trade show in Berlin, Neil, is pronounced IFA. But then why is it all capital letters? Because it's, it's in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. Do you want capital letters, Neil? That's how you get capital letters. It's, it's IFA. Okay. Well, anyhow, um, this thing is the most blatant, ridiculous ripoff of the Apple Watch UI. No, no, uh, no, no. You know what this looks like? This reminds me of the Audi smartwatch from January CES, powered by WebOS. Well, I mean, the friends thing in the upper left yeah, is the like... Fact I- that, the fact that all of the icons are round, I can forgive because it's a round watch. But the yeah. little friends thing that has a bunch of colored dots... Yeah. The phone it's dial? True. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That's just <laughs> I mean, I'm just looking at this thing, and it's like the calendar icon, the phone icon. I mean, I guess there's only so many ways you can do those icons, but still. Like, why is the phone icon green just like Apple's? The, the microphone icon is pretty similar. There was actually some research into the cloud icon that came up with the notion that the cloud icon has to be that way for pretty much everyone because – there's some mathematical formula to the, the curves and proportions that says that's how you draw a cloud. So pretty much no, no, everyone's no, no, no. cloud this, icon looks the same. No, no, no. This cloud, if you'll notice, has sun it's rays sun coming out of the upper right, which makes yeah. it Wait. horrifically visually unbalanced. <laughs> is it is it weather or is it what what? I assume, I assume it's, it's weather. A weather. Yeah, it's probably okay. a weather app. Weather. Yeah, it's weather designed by an imbecile. <laughs> and You're I'm also surprised kind. that there's so I'm also generous. surprised that there's Nike Plus support, uh, considering Nike's close relationship with Apple. Yes, that was interesting, isn't it? I would have thought that maybe they wouldn't uh, have that. Well, you know, looking at it, that swoosh is uh, not correctly. That's not a regulation either. swoosh. It's not. That's not. But so let me ask you, because there's the swoosh with a plus next to it, right below an icon of a person running. Yeah, it's probably their native uh, fitness app and then a Nike Plus uh, running app. I didn't realize that was a person running. I thought it was an arrow pointing down toward a horizon. <laughs> but Apple's Apple's app has someone running to the right. Samsung's has someone running to the left. And Samsung's has, like, ground and sky. Yeah. And Since we were talking about knockoffs, that reminds me of a T-shirt I saw once with a Nike logo on it, and there's no way it could be an actual Nike product that said, uh, lazy but talented. <laughs> I don't think that's the I'm, brand no, I'm, that Nike wants to I'm absolutely certain that that's a that's a real Nike product. <laughs> you think you think that's a real Nike product? Have I, you seen the stuff they're doing recently? I once no, had a pair but of Nike's Nike all shoes. about Nike's all about working hard, earning it, all that stuff. Yeah, Lazy, but go, go into a Nike store. Yeah, and oh. look at some of the shirts they're doing now. No, I just had a, I, I used to have a pair of Nike shoes that were run on one of these lunch breaks or after hours kinds of things like we were talking about, and they were Nike tops with K Swiss soles. <laughs> And they were from a legitimate factory, but they'd used some crazy kind of, uh, of fabric that for the swoosh that, that wasn't exactly a fabric you'd find on any other kind of Nike. But it was, it was wow. very clearly legitimate stuff just done with after-hours parts. Well, anyhow, I had, to, I had to interject there because this thing is insane how much of a ripoff it is of the watch OS UI. But before we move on, I just but want to say – But it is on a round display. Yes. I don't, I don't know if Nike is selling their shirt in America, but here in Hong Kong they have a shirt that says – you know the shirts they're doing that are just giant words with patterns in the background? Yeah. The shirt says, scoring never stops. <laughs> it's by far my favorite Nike t-shirt ever. They're, they also have one that says, all money, no bank. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fantastic. But no, scoring never stops is by far. Oh, basketball is my girlfriend. That's another one. Wow. So I'm absolutely certain that lazy but talented is. That does not strike me as Nike's brand, but maybe. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, it's it's time to hold our drones because Neil's going to tell us all about the DJI Phantom Three Professional. <laughs> yeah, um, I we ran the review of this last weekend. Uh, I tested the high end one. It's uh, twelve fifty is what it costs, and it, it's awesome. Wait, um, wait. If one thousand two hundred and fifty U.S. dollars. Yes, that is actually a competitive price compared to what I these used to cost. Just wanted to clarify because twelve fifty yes. could be a lot of things. No, it sounds. It costs. Actually, it's 
1249 US dollars. This is the high-end one. Um, there's a mid-range one that costs $1,000 that just downgrades the camera to 1080p. Uh, the high-end one, the professional, is 4K. And there's an entry-level one for $800 that... Uh, that also does 1080p, but at 30 frames per second instead of 60. Uh, I think most people will be happy with the mid-range model, um, considering most people don't have 4K video cameras. Uh, they both have the same controller, and that's really what I enjoyed about this the most. It has a uh, mount that is big enough to hold an iPad, and it also has a built-in USB port, so you can plug in a lightning cable, and you don't have to connect to a shared Wi-Fi network anymore. So you don't have to mess around with it to... Uh, uh, to get the connection and get the live video feed, but it gets signals from up to a mile away. It's easy to fly. Um, if you're on the market for like a prosumer high-end kind of drone uh, that you can fly uh, on its own, uh, this is still the best one out there at that price range and at that uh, level of the market. Um, obviously, at over $1,200, this isn't for everybody. Um, you know, there are some cheaper options out there like the Parrot. Um, and I actually tested a super secret one today that I can't talk about till next week. That'll be another low end option. So the market's growing there at the low end. And, um, I think that's a good thing. But if you're looking for something that uh, offers really high quality 4k video footage, that's super smooth. It looks like it's a crane shot when it's taken off. Um, this thing, you just can't go wrong with it. It's awesome. Cool. Now, when you're out there flying drones, how do people react? Uh, when I started flying them a few years ago and they weren't as common, people would come up to me and start asking me questions. They still do. Not as much. People just kind of point and take pictures of it and stuff. But like I was flying it in Central Park for my review and a family came up to me. They were, um, Italian and they were like, what is it? Did you, one of the questions that people always ask me, which I think is funny, they always ask me if I invented it, like if I'm the creator of it or something. I got asked that when I was (laughs) flying it here in Brooklyn Heights a few weeks ago too. People always ask me like, oh, did you make this? Uh, when I reviewed an electric skateboard uh, last year, too, people were stopping me and like, did you make this? Are you, inv- are you famous? Is that the answer? It's like, no, I just, I just write about this stuff for a living. But, uh, yeah, people want to take photos with it. Um, they, they, people are just fascinated by it. how much does it cost, what does it do, that kind of stuff. Um, I, don't, I haven't been stopped by law enforcement yet, which is good. Um, but I'm very conservative about where I fly it. I make sure that I'm in a legal area to fly it. I make sure that I don't go too high, um, that I don't let it get out of my line of sight and stuff like that. Uh, partially because I don't want to lose the thing because it's not mine and they're just sending it to me to review. But also uh, because you just want to be careful with this kind of stuff. I did have one crash a couple years ago. And quite frankly, if this thing crashed into a person, it would do serious damage. So um, fly safe out there. It's a really cool way to get great shots, but you don't have to overdo it and, and go crazy with it. Brilliant. So you recommend this one? Yeah. I, I, like I said, I think that the mid-range one is probably the best for most consumers if you have no need for 4K video. Um, but the high-end one's awesome too. Um, the low-end one, $800, is, is still pretty good, but I like the upgraded controller, and I think it's worth the extra $200. So I would say if you're on the market for a DJI drone, um, go with the mid-range Phantom 2 Advanced, or Phantom 3 Advanced, sorry. Brilliant. Now, ahead of iOS 9, we've been seeing that there's this ad blocker technology in the iOS 9 betas, and it, it allows us to use ad blocking in iOS and, and strip ads out of web pages and things like this. So there's a study, and the study says that ad blockers have already cost publishers $22 billion a year, which is kind of crazy since, since uh, ad blockers haven't been out for iOS 9 that long. Are they talking about ad blockers for all of web browsers? What are they talking about, Neil? Yeah, they're just talking about ad blockers on desktops and stuff like that. But the reason this story is relevant for Apple users is because iOS 9 is going to allow uh, for for people to install third-party apps that plug into Safari and can block ads when you're browsing the web on your iPhone or your iPad. So presumably, the uh, availability and the impact of these ad blockers is going to grow when iOS 9 launches. The study actually said, what did the study say? Wow, I forgot already. Dude. Dude. I'm sorry. That was terrible. The study actually said... Okay. The study actually said that the release of iOS 9 would be a game changer and that they expect, once iOS 9 is in wide distribution, they expect the percentage of iOS users running ad blockers in Safari to roughly equal the percentages that are using ad blockers in uh, mobile Firefox, which is about 16%. So when you consider that... Uh, mobile Safari, which is the the version, which is what Safari on iOS is actually called, Mobile Safari. For those of you who don't know, uh, nobody on this podcast with me doesn't know that. But for the rest of you, you have a little information. Uh, mobile Safari accounts for a huge portion of web traffic. Um, even we've seen that at Apple Insider 
uh, huge spike in the number of people visiting from mobile Safari versus desktop Safari. Uh, it's 52% of the mobile browsing market, so more than half of people who use the web on a smartphone or a tablet use iOS and mobile Safari. And it's 14, this is important, it's 14% of all web browsing in general. Like the desktop, laptop, smartphone, tablet, McDonald's kiosk, mobile Safari is 14% of the entire internet. So if you consider that there's a huge proportion of people who are suddenly not going to be seeing ads anymore, then the the CPM market is not in uh, it's not in. It's, it's going to be a rough time ahead. It's going to be a rough time ahead. Yeah. For but, those of you who I are mean, in you public, you have to opt into this. Yeah, you do have to opt into it. But the idea is that uh, many people, because it'll be super easy, right? It's just download right. an app and then turn one setting in Safari. The idea is that the number of people who do that will also do it, or the number of people who do it on um, desktop Safari will be broadly comparable to the number number of people who will do it on mobile Safari. And but you said that they were comparing it to Firefox, right? They were saying 17% on Firefox? Yeah. So they think See, that sounds, it's that going sounds to be a lot bigger than it's been on Firefox. Because no. installing something on... What? Installing uh, no, stuff on Firefox is always freakishly annoying. No, I, I think people who use Firefox are enthusiasts. I think that... Yeah, I think so that the, putting it on Safari is going to be far easier. It'll be larger. No, I don't think it'll be larger. I think most people just won't know or don't care. Mm. I would better to be smaller. Now, for our readership, okay. it'll be larger. For people that, for unfortunately for us, since we're in the online publishing business, a lot of our readers already use ad blockers, and obviously, it's not good for business for us. Um, but that's just the reality of it. And you know, I understand why people do it. It makes websites load faster. There's a lot of junk JavaScript and everything else. It makes websites take forever Have you to load. Seen the ads on our website? And I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't blame people for doing that. It's not good for us. I mean. We have to be paid in order to do this. Otherwise, you know, that's how we keep the lights on, right? But I, I don't think that it will be as high as it is in Firefox because I think people that are using Firefox are already enthusiasts that would be inclined to do those types of things. I would not be surprised if the percentage of people on mobile Safari specifically that are installing these after iOS 9 launches is going to be smaller. Yeah. I don't see someone like my parents installing an ad blocker on their iPhone or iPad. Well, no, but by sheer... By sheer volume, even if it is yes. our overall number, yes. by sheer volume, it's still a major impact. For yes, those no, I, I think it's going to be a major impact, yes. If you're listening and you don't know, ads on the internet most of the time are sold by CPM. It's X number of dollars per thousand ad views. Uh, there are some alternative models, but that's primarily where all the money is. And if you're getting a million hits a month on your website and only 100,000 of those people are seeing ads, then... It's a serious problem. And this is why you're seeing a lot of major online publishers like even Recode um, are doing sponsored posts now and stuff like that yeah. because ad blockers can't block that kind of content. So it allows them to get eyeballs on content in a different way. So there's going to be a lot of turmoil and a lot of evolution in the online publishing industry for better or for worse. Um, and you know, there's also a problem of you know not to be patronizing to people that read our website, but... Uh, there's also an entitlement issue with people that feel like they don't need to be advertised to or that they deserve the content for free or it's not worth paying for. And uh, while I understand why some people feel that way, um, also if you want people to continue writing and producing this content, it needs to be a living for them. They need to get paid to do it. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a complex issue. Now, some of you are going to misunderstand what Neil just said, and I'm going to clarify it. We do not take money for posts. No. We do not do that. It doesn't happen. But we for those do of not you, take money for posts. No, and I, I I'm had a just reiterating. I had a discussion with a reader the other day um, who messaged me on our forums and accused me of being paid to run an analyst note. And then I explained to him, and thankfully he was very pleasant about it. But I explained to him in very explicit detail that we do not get paid to write any articles. We do not get paid by any, any analysts. Uh, we're not paid for any reviews. Um, I don't even own stock in Apple. I come from the newspaper business. Shane and I don't invoice. We don't get paid anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I come from the newspaper business. I'm a, a product of uh, the journalism school at the University of Florida. I take ethics very seriously. Go Gators. Um, we, yeah, go Gators. Um, we, we are not that kind of site. Uh, certainly there are sites out there like that, and I understand why people think that. But uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, we definitely take that kind of stuff very seriously. We're not paid or anything. Any content that you see on Apple Insider is on there solely because myself or one of our team thought that it was interesting enough to write. We are not asked to write anything specifically like that. But for those of you who hate content marketing and also use an ad blocker, you brought this upon yourself. Yes. 
Well, shall we wrap it up, John? Why not? Okay. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast, recording on Thursday, August 13th. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and with us has been uh, Shane Cole. Shane, where can yep. people find you on the Internet? Uh, I am on Apple Insider. And Neil Hughes, where can people find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at ThisIsNeil, and you can read my daily musings at Apple Insider. And if you can find Neil in Phuket holding his drone, or Shane Cole is wearing a lazy but talented t-shirt, we'll tell you all about it next week on the Apple Insider Podcast. Podcast.